tell you everything, but, but I ain't got a whole lot to go on. Who do you think that is there? What's up? Not much. What's up with you? Not much. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's good to talk to you too. I feel like this whole thing is like, it's like, I've like talked to multiple people in my life about doing podcasts before, and this whole thing's been coming together very naturally so far, so I just want to like keep riding that out, and we'll, <laughs> yeah, it's it's should be should be nice and fun and chill. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, introductions are in order. Episode one. Yeah, that'd be great. Episode one. My name's Steve, by the way. I'm Sersha. Um, if you're on the Twin Peaks Discord server, you probably know me as Nikki Grace on there. I'm a big fan of uh, Twin Peaks, David Lynch, all of that. Yeah, and I go by Am I Right on the server. Um, I'm a mod there. We're both members on the Twin Peaks Discord server. Um, and uh, it's a fun place to hang out. It's kind of the unofficial Discord server for the unofficial Twin Peaks subreddit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of where we hang out. And uh, yeah, it's a fun place to talk about the show. And um, Nikki's a really active member there. I've been active there for a long time. And yeah, we're just here to kind of chat about the show right yeah you've uh, been on there since it started haven't you yeah i've been on there since i don't know if i've been on there since when the server started i forget exactly the exact date but like i think it started very early into the airing of season three and i joined that server i believe around episode five or six um of the show i remember distinctly thinking after like one of the episodes being like I wonder if there's a chat someplace. Because it was like, did you watch The Return as it was airing? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. It was a fun, yeah, it was definitely a fun experience. And it was like so crazy at first, obviously. And I was like, there needs to be a place where I could have like immediate feedback to talk about this right now. You know what I mean? Because like Reddit was not enough. Mm -hmm. You'd get the threads going on and stuff after the each week and whatever. But um yeah, so st hopped into the server, and I distinctly remember it was a, it was the episode where Audrey first shows up for the return. Oh, so that's that's like halfway through. Yeah, it's, she doesn't I show up for a while. Wait, no, that can't be true then, because it. I definitely was in there for episode eight. I think. Man, this is actually way fuzzier than I remember. Because anyway. last time. I watched the return. I remember being like taken aback of how long it takes her to show up. So I don't, I, I, I'm kind of fucking up the story because now I'm like confusing myself. I'm like, oh man, I actually <laughs> don't remember. Uh, maybe I'm remembering two distinct things because anyway, I, I remember a distinct conversation uh, happening about the Audrey thing, like as an early conversation when I, when I jumped in there. So yeah, it was fun to discuss things each week and unpack things each week and like, yeah, nobody had any clue what was going on, obviously. So, um, 
how did you get into Twin Peaks just overall? Sure. Um, yeah. So I got into Twin Peaks. Uh, well, so let me say I first heard about Twin Peaks about in 2001. I was like 16 years old at the time. So I was, I heard about it through this, um, it was this, it was this graphic novel, this like animated graphic novel that these three guys were making at the time. Um, I don't really want to go into details on it because it's just like something I could probably talk about forever. Um, but it was like these three guys, they were making this animated flash, like epic. It was like 24 episodes or something. They were there. It was great. I would highly recommend people look it up. It's called Broken Saints. Um, it is a really cool, creative, like animated uh, thing that these three guys are making. So it was like this artist, uh, this illustrator, um, an animator who was also kind of proficient in Adobe Flash, uh, which was a Macromedia Flash at the time. This is going to be a bunch of internet nostalgia right here. Um, and uh, so, th and then there was a third guy, this writer. Uh, his name was Brooke Burgess. And he was like very active on their like website and on their, you know, at the time forums, uh, they were, they had this, they were really cultivating a cool little community around their, their animated thing. So they were just like releasing these episodes weekly, cultivating this great community. And this Brooke Burgess guy, the writer was like, he's obsessed with Lynch, just like totally obsessed. Uh, and he would talk about Eraserhead all the time. And he would, you know, every time he put up a blog update about like the, the next episode that they were posting, which you know, it was on no schedule. These guys, their vision kept getting bigger and bigger and they kept having like months between releases. They definitely finished it. And it's a really cool thing. Again, I really recommend people check it out. Um, very Lynchian in, in influence. And he would also go on and on about Twin Peaks, like just forever. And he, the community at the time was definitely kind of on the younger side. Like you, we were all kind of in our teens and early twenties. He was kind of in his thirties and sort of like really just preaching you know, like he had all these youngsters around him, I'm sure. Yeah. And he was like, you, you, you guys have to check out Twin Peaks. Like you don't really understand. Um, so this always like stuck in my mind uh, or stuck on my mind, as Josie might say. Um, and like throughout the years, I never checked it out because I was, I was 16. You know, it's like I, I um, you know, I was in my own little journey of film, uh, you know, watching at the time and it just didn't really fit into the thing. And there was no place to get it that at this time in history, there was actually no place to get a Twin Peaks box set or yeah. like it didn't exist. Wasn't, yeah. It wasn't like the gold box kind of like a big deal. Like it wasn't on DVD before that. Totally. Yeah. And it was something that I remember taking a really long time to happen because it was like, I mean, yeah, this was like this was like in the middle of to the tail end of when a lot of things were getting tra transferred to DVD from yeah that may have may have existed as like a VHS box set you know in the past or maybe even was never released in the first place. So like yeah, there were a lot of DVD sets sort of coming out of the woodwork, but Twin Peaks hadn't quite made it yet. It was really interesting at the time uh, that it took so long for a proper box set. Yeah. Um, I would like to learn a little more, more about the history behind that effort sometime. So I just, um, I just Googled it. The gold box didn't even come out till 2007. Hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So basically, right. So I, 
I mean, I had to download torrents of this thing. It was the only way to get the show. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I grabbed them. So, like, for years, that was, I guess, kind of sticking around. And, you know, it must have been closer to 2007 that I actually finally obtained the show and checked it out. Um, maybe we'll cut out that torrent part, and I'll just leave in the part about obtained. <laughs> yeah. We don't want CBS uh, <laughs> breathing down our necks. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I finally got a hold of the show. Um, it must have been a little bit before that DVD set came out because it's still that still is not available. Um, I think I had been probably scouring for VHS box sets that were on eBay at that point. You know, like I was just trying to find this thing. And so finally got it. And uh, I remember I was, this must have been, yeah, many years later because I was back from college. I was like, I, I was I was dropped out from college, actually. I was living in my parents' attic and like, you know, in a very self-discovery phase of my life. And uh, yeah, like decided to pass the time with checking out this Twin Peaks show. It was a dream. We live inside a dream. I mean, there's a lot we could go into from there uh, as far as how Twin Peaks affected me and sort of what it did for me in terms of opening up my... I, I was primed and ready at that point. And it it really blew open my mind in terms of like what what can film be? What can art be? Like, you know, increasing my, the complexity of my understanding of, you know, themes and... Uh, narratives and how they can be intertwined and just, you know, everything that comes with it. And like, and just also a lot of personal growth stuff with kind of the characters, especially at the time Cooper, who, you know, really helped me. um, What, what, like basically watching, watching, I was in a time in my life where I was really struggling with identity and and it was it meant a lot to me to see a character in in Cooper who was weird, who was quirky, and just didn't care about being himself. Mm-hmm. And that personal, I mean, there's a lot of things that really jumped off the screen at me right from that first episode. But that was definitely a big one for me at the time. And as time went on, and I evolved with the show, and my and my appreciation of it evolved as well. Um, even with the way I viewed Cooper, you know, but at the time and my youth, it was great to see. It was a, it was a male role model that I really latched onto in a way that did a lot of good things for me mentally, you know, just kind of gave me the tools to say, even though he wasn't real, you know, to say, this is okay. It's okay to be weird and kind of go from there. And there's, like I said, there's a lot of added layers for, to Cooper, the show, the plot as it evolves, and of course, the return and the way it changes some of those perceptions. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation. But as for how I got into the show and what it meant for me at the time, um, that's kind of where it started. That's that's really cool. Um, I think what part of what like you're saying was like the early stuff. I think um, the internet has been a very big part in spreading um, Lynch's work and Twin Peaks specifically and appreciation for them. Yeah. Um, it's hard to imagine going back to like when Twin Peaks was coming out and not being able to like go online and talk about it. 
but I guess yeah. they just talked about it with people in real life because it was that was when media and culture was more like centered on a couple things. Yeah. And I, I really had nobody to talk to in real life about it either. Yeah. And mm. I was a little too, I mean, I was a little too young to feel like I could get involved in some of the communities that were out there. But I know there was like, there were a couple real niche communities like holding it down for a while, I guess. Like the, there's, I guess there's one called the Dugpa Forums. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of an older uh, forum where people would gather and talk about the show. You can still dig up some of those o- old threads, I think, of even like when the original show was airing and like week of reactions. It's like they can be hard, kind of hard to find, but they're pretty trippy when you find them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no real like zeitgeist. It, not, not like today's culture, right? Where it's like the zeitgeists and the week-to-week followings and the very coordinated discussions that we all have around that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's like a very big part of what kept Twin Peaks alive. Mm -hmm. The reason why we were able to come back for a return is the internet. I don't think without it, it would have been the same. Yeah. Um, There's a really great site that I've in like my own writings of a lynch I've referenced a lot called lynchnet, which is like, hasn't been updated since like 2008. But whoever has the domain still keeps it up and has like a ton of information about Lynch. And like you read and you're just like, before the internet, how did you get a hold of all of this? Yeah. Right. Um, It's so great. It's like, yeah. And those, those really were, yeah. The OGs holding that stuff down before it was like cool kind of. Yeah. I'm glad, glad that those are, that those are still around and yeah, being kept up. That's, that's really great. Hell, God, baby, damn, no. So I want to hear your story, Nikki. What is the, what is the Twin Peaks story with you? you? Yeah, my my Twin Peaks story is, um, I'm a lot younger than you. Uh, (laughs) I was not watching Twin Peaks. I got a a few years on you, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't born yet. Um, But um, I'd say what really started my uh, interest in it for me is I was a kid. And when I was younger, my favorite show of all time, my favorite cartoon, my favorite whatever, was Gravity Falls on the Disney Channel. Right. And for me, that show, it was like, it was like nothing I had ever seen before, right? Um, if you're not familiar with it, um, basically all you need to know right now is that it's very, very inspired by Twin Peaks and other shows like Twin Peaks, but specifically Twin Peaks, there are a couple of references. Kyle McLaughlin even has a cameo in the series yeah. finale. Um, and yeah, just the sense of like, mystery about it and like oh like a show can be used to tell these like overarching themes and stories and like mystery is like it's not always meant to be like completely solved straight out and um it it was very impactful on me when i was a kid and i I knew as a kid that it was inspired by twin peaks but i didn't know anything about twin peaks i just knew that it was like the adult version of gravity falls Uh and um i'd say another thing that got me interested in the show is um Silent Hill, uh, specifically the original Silent Hill for the PS1. Oh, um, wow. 
a lot of I've I've analyzed that the story of that game to death. Oh, um, Nick, you're gonna it, start a Silent Hill podcast? <laughs> it, we'll, oh we'll, crap! Later, later down the line, later down the line. But um, <laughs> this is just gonna transition right now. Um, I love Silent Hill, yeah, and it's funny that you. It's, it's funny that that was a bridge directly into it for you because I was absolutely um, into both, but didn't really make that connection at all until probably way, way, way later. Um, just another way that it was kind of, yeah, that, like it was increasing my understanding of media and art, but I like I wasn't quite there yet to see that uh, connection. So it's mm -hmm. cool to hear that that was a direct line for you. Yeah, I'd say the PS1 game is definitely the most um, Pixian. Uh, Alessa mm -hmm. Gillespie is basically just Laura Palmer, okay. um, but slightly different. And just kind of like this idea of this town just like coming to pieces. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that, that got me interested in Twin Peaks, but it was kind of daunting to me. I knew it was like a TV show from like before The Sopranos came out. So I just kind of assumed it wasn't that good. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, so it took me a long time to watch it, um, but later on, uh, this would have been like I think around twenty twenty. Uh, so that that feels like not long ago, but it's two years ago now. Um, sure, sure. I was really getting into film, and I had heard a lot about David Lynch. Um, I knew he had like a ton of titles in Criterion Collection, which I was starting to collect. I knew like his his reputation in like film circles, kind of precedes itself he's like mm -hmm. this master a tour director someone who loves work so right. i thought oh i should probably watch some stuff from him yeah because uh, i was going through a lot of classic directors kubrick kurosawa all that and so yeah the first did you thing find, sorry to interrupt you but did you find his stuff a little hard, like i mean more mysterious going in right it's kind of like you kind of oh, look at these other auteurs and it's like your kubrick and, and everybody else and you kind of understand right off the bat like from an image or from something like what people like about it. And mm. I felt like when I was young, I was like, what is this Lynch guy? Like, what's yeah. the deal? Now that I'm uh, more into stuff, I can like pinpoint like, oh, here are the defining traits of a Lynch work. But like going into it, he's just, all you know about him is he makes like mindfuck movies, right? Right. It's hard to and grasp it any like bigger than that. A yeah. terrible description of it. It is, but it's like that's at first you, know. you have no other tools, right? Yeah, that's what you know going in. Um, and so the first thing I watched from David Lynch was what did Jack do on Netflix? <laughs> that is and the weirdest entry point ever. It was it was such a bad entry point. <laughs> it's him talking to a monkey for half an hour, and I thought this is terrible. <laughs> I thought okay, 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 maybe I started in the wrong place because like usually when I start with a director, I just do what's most easily available to me, and at that time it was Netflix, right? And so I thought okay, I want to know what this guy's deal is. What's his best work? And so right. a lot of people said his best work was Twin Peaks. Um, and this was after The Return and everything had come out. I had heard things about The Return and how like it was like the greatest cinematic achievement ever or whatever. Right. And so I started Twin Peaks and um, I remember watching the pilot. I remember distinctly during the intro, my mom walked by the TV and she said, Oh, you're watching Twin Peaks? I don't think anyone has ever finished that show. And I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't that good. Uh, but oh, I, I stuck on it. Yeah. Um, it, I, I wasn't, I didn't completely get the pilot at the time. I didn't completely appreciate it, but hmm. it, it very much interested me. It was very, I think what really drew it to me to it is it was just 
completely different than anything I'd really seen before from a TV show, right? Just how it handles everything. Because, like, it is a soap opera <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. At least the original series. But it's just... It takes that format and just does something completely different with it. I didn't understand at the time. I mean, it's a very well-made soap opera. You know, it's like... It's mm-hmm. funny to think about the idea that a format... Right, like, so- soap operas can be easy to make fun of. But it's like, what if it was a good soap opera? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And um, but I think what really kept me going is that the fact that I didn't get it. I thought, oh, if I keep watching, then I'll understand what the deal is. Like, I wanted to know who killed Laura Palmer so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, usually when I get into something, I become, like, very fixated on it. I want to know all the information about everything. And everything. And everyone said, no, don't spoil it. And so all I knew going in was that Bob was the villain. And that's pretty much all I knew. And... As I kept watching it, what it kind of made me click in my mind is that sometimes art doesn't really need to make sense in the conventional way. If it makes sense emotionally, I think that's more important than actually telling us what's going on. And I think that's kind of what's so great about Lynch is that he is this surrealist and all that. But I think he really gets straight to the point, gets straight to the core. He doesn't. The rules don't matter to him. He just wants you to feel a certain way. He just wants you to experience the certain thing. Right. And I think that I, that was very, like, kind of mind-blowing for me at the time. And um, like you said, too, I, I love Cooper. Cooper is great. He loves everyone. I wrote this in my notes for one of these episodes, but Cooper is kind of like a mature child. Yeah. Um, He's like an impossibly good person. Yeah. And I, right. the return later de- deconstructs that, right? But like, right. For the there's sake, something there's, to that statement, right? Exactly. Yeah, um, he is. I like you said. I'm not a man, but I recognize that he's a very great um, example of healthy masculinity because right. he is a man and yeah. he's a masculine person. But it's not toxic. It's not right. bad. He uses it for good. He uses it to make the people around him feel better, to right. be more confident in himself. And I think that's what really strikes you about Cooper is that he is this confident person, but he doesn't seem like he's being confident. He just seems like he's always comfortable no matter where he is. And I think that's because he's always curious. He always is wanting to know more. And he's the perfect uh, protagonist for a show that by its own admission is about mysteries. And yeah. And so it taught me a lot about character dynamics and just, I've I've never seen a show with an ensemble cast like Twin Peaks. And that was also kind of a wake up for me. Um, how yeah. these characters interact. And like there are so many different types of people, types of personalities. It's pretty and, incredible. Yeah. I mean, just going yeah. through the pilot and like seeing the way everybody is highlighted and just like the first episode of Twin Peaks is such an explosion of creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it feels so it feels so rich and and right. Like everybody, every character is having their own, just has their own life to them. Yeah, and, and no one's really like a bad person or a good person. Right. Peaks manages to write. Very complex characters, not a lot. 
Yeah, everything's appropriately complex while also kind of existing in this very strange, like, pigeonholed world, too. <laughs> like, you have yeah. these thematic things that are very much about, like, direct good or direct evil. Mm -hmm. But I guess the concepts of those things are that everybody sits somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, the... Everybody, everybody in the pilot, um, you know, you were talking about kind of this emo these emotions that Lynch wants you to feel and stuff. And one of the craziest things that like occurred to me when I first started watching the show is how you can actually get information out of that. Like, is yeah. which is I think one of it, like what's funny is that like I'm not a big like Lynch guy per se. Like, I'm not like somebody who's going around telling everybody to watch like. Lynch's material. I mean, obviously, I would recommend it, but I always tell people that you have, like, they have to watch Twin Peaks because, like, it, it, the technique that I think Lynch uses so well is conveying information through emotions, and it's mm -hmm. just like you. It, I think in the first episode, you know, speaking on the characters too, and just like, and I mean, the actors here are all pretty incredible as far as the ensemble cast, but like. In the opening sequences of the show, in all these opening scenes where we're seeing on full display everybody's pain and sorrow from, from point one of being given the information about Lara, like, often in these scenes, nobody's actually told directly that Lara Palmer has been murdered. Um, mm -hmm. they're, the characters are actually getting information from the other characters through visual cues, through their facial expressions and through context of the situation and the context being the previous night, almost everybody in the town had a really dramatic, well, not everybody, but you know, a lot of people had a really dramatic moment with Laura or, 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 you know, in a lead up to that. And kind of, it was, it's the way that the news unfolds in the beginning of the show, you obviously see her at, you know, next to the rock with, with when Pete finds her, but, um, Every other, I'm pretty sure they don't say to anybody, to any character for the rest of the episode, like, Laura Palmer is dead or, or has been murdered or anything. It's always that the character figures it out by looking at somebody else's facial expression or a visual cue and from the context of the situation, mm -hmm. which is just crazy. Um, getting just a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but yeah, yeah. the pilot does do a very good job of... The thing you're talking about with like how the characters react, that the thing is that that's giving us information, but it's also telling us about the characters kind of like twofold. Um, yeah. I think Lynch, Lynch is, I don't know, I, I don't know if this is the right word, but a very efficient filmmaker. He, Big time. he gets a lot of information across very quickly in like small sections. Um, yeah. But you know what? Uh, since we're already like going into it, you want to just talk about yeah. the pilot? Yeah. Yeah. You want to transition into. Uh... Yeah. yeah, episode stuff. Episode stuff. Episode stuff, let's do it. Well, now, I'm not going to talk about Judy. In fact, we're not going to talk about Judy at all. So I guess first I should mention that um, in the Twin Peaks Discord server, the unofficial Discord server of the unofficial Twin Peaks subreddit, um, we're currently going about an episode rewatch. 
Um, so the whole community is uh, watching through the episodes together. We're doing two a week. And we started last week, so we're like a little, like a little bit behind on our recaps along with, with kind of everybody else. But yeah, we've been rewatching the show. If for some reason you're listening to this and you're not on our Discord server, you should probably come join us. Uh, and mm. yeah, once a week, every Saturday, watch two episodes of the show and go through it and, and, and uh, go through it together. So yeah, so like I said last week, right, we did two episodes and it was the pilot and episode two. Um, mm-hmm. So right, so we all watched through those. And um, Nikki, what did you think about Twin Peaks episode one? Um, the first thing that grabbed me is... Good, bad. Uh, did you like it? Did you dislike it? What's your review? Uh, I hated it. It's terrible. Um, Twin Peaks isn't a good show. Um, right. But the first thing that grabbed me is the Log Lady intro, which kind of made me laugh for this episode because oh, yeah. it's literally just David Lynch saying, here's the point of the show, right? <laughs> <laughs> she basically just says, oh, it's a show about mystery. Laura Palmer is the one and all these stories branch out of her, right? And right. it encompasses like everything right um but yeah it's it's a very good setup it, it's a very good way to sell the series to people that's usually how i explain it um hmm. the, that's uh, not history it's kind of just the show branches out of this murder and uh yeah interesting episode one of twin peaks the pilot um really enough my blu-ray um labels episode two is episode one and the pilot just as pilot um, okay sure that yeah i don't know why uh <laughs> but yeah, I'm down it's, with that. It might be the best pilot for any show ever. Yeah, probably. It's yeah, it's fucking incredible. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's especially like considering like the time it was made and everything. Just it it starts like right away, it gets right into the plot, and everything like tells you so much about all the characters and about this town and. The only person you don't really get to know is Laura Palmer, right? But that's very right. much on purpose. Um, totally. Yeah, she is there. She's our MacGuffin. She's our, right, totally obfuscated thing that we're mm-hmm. learning about through everybody else. Yeah, that's kind of the... That's kind of what interests me about the pilot is we only learn about Laura through other people. We never... The closest thing we get is that video we watched where, like, she's up with Donna on, like, the mountain, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't really get any flashback of her just being her. We start with her dead. And first of all, it's a very good tone setter. Um, But it just, I guess it's trying to say that Laura Palmer being You know, we do get some very unfortunate footage of her being all lovey-dovey flirty with James. That is an episode. Remember? (laughs) Oh, okay. Sorry. I keep getting ahead. All right. we'll We'll wait for that one because... Yeah, I, I did write that down. That that sequence is really Good weird. Lord, uh, do I never want to see those two again? <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> they have no chemistry. Okay, oh, um, gosh. but yeah, um, it's kind of just it kind of just tells you without telling you that Laura Palmer dying isn't the point. The point is how her death affects those around her, right? Right. Um, and, like, it's a very quick way of explaining to you what the deal of the series is. Even though a lot of people didn't get it and just thought it was about Laura Palmer dying. But, you know, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Lynch had too much faith in people. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it happens. I, it's, kinda, you know, it's funny, it's funny you talk kinda, about... No, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, you can 
No, oh, yeah. Well, okay, just fine. real quick comment. I was just going to say, it's funny you talk about great pilots and unreasonable expectations. I can, uh, and also things that have been getting discussed on the server recently. Uh, Lost has a great pilot, like amazing mm-hmm. pilot, and yet another show that was plagued by kind of, sign of kind of maybe some misplaced audience expectations as far as the point of the show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, but I think um, what's really great about the pilot was really great is it it tells you so much about what the show is and what you're in for. It's just, it's the perfect, it's kind of the perfect pilot. It, it lets you everything, lets you know everything you need to know and it is also very entertaining. Um, so what what do you think of the pilot? Um, I thought it was all right. Mm-hmm. You know, just so-so. Yeah. Um, I, the show only gets good um, when James leaves town. I mean, you know, it all goes down from here. Yeah, dude, when James leaves town, that's the the the, the, the jewel on the crown. Um, mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah, this pilot's incredible. I mean, this show grabbed me right from the start when I watched it. Um, what, what I remember when I first watched this back in the day was like, um, I guess I, yeah, I did already have the sort of um, Lynch's um, reputation as being very surrealist and, you know, being very weird and being all this. I remember the first thing that struck me about the pilot was how grounded it was. You know, I was like, this is this David Lynch guy. This is mm-hmm. very normal. Like, this is this is a very normal set of situations. And this is a plot that I think I'm going to understand. And, you know, it's like, this is not feel inaccessible um you know not that i wasn't into weird stuff at the time but it was just like was very refreshing to see something that was such such a perfect mix um yeah so that's just always something that struck me about the pilot when i Uh, first watched it it's just it's a very grounded introduction to the events to be honest yeah the kind of cultural zeitgeist around david lynch kind of makes you think that like his whole body of work is like eraser head red room and empire kind of stuff but really it's I think most of it is just kind of these grounded, real yeah. people just thrown into where with some supernatural twist, basically. Right. And the emotions of people. And like, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Like how do those emotions fly around between people? And sometimes emotions flying around between people can feel like little devil spirits, mm-hmm. like, you know, possessing you. Like sometimes, you know situations between people well i may be getting ahead of myself again sorry yeah um but but yeah like the so yeah uh i love the pilot um we start josie lucky duck gets to start our first shot of the episode yeah i was was just about to mention that like the tone setter isn't actually lord dying it's josie it's josie's face in the mirror looking suspicious how, how great is that though it's like mm. something about that image totally works that's the thing because like one of like the biggest themes of twin peaks is duality and mm-hmm. boom first shot mirror right yeah. was that even planned i don't know because i don't know probably not i i that seems like an edit choice for sure like mm-hmm. that they're in the editing room it's like how are we opening the show yeah like shot of josie you know it feels mm. like maybe a, a made in the editing room choice. Yeah, and then Jack Nance goes fishing. Jack Nance goes fishing. Well, he tries. Yeah, he <laughs> doesn't quite make it. Uh, maybe Jeez. someday. Maybe someday he'll Wrapped have to go fishing. Wrapped in plastic. Wrapped in plastic. Um, 
great dialogue by him right at the beginning. Yeah, all the acting's incredible. Um, I just I have a note here in my thing, just like, I mean, we it's we really live in the situation for quite a while. I mean, the first entire half of the episode, we're pro kind of mm -hmm. systematically going through each and every person as they, you know, hear the news. Um, yeah. Everybody's got their own reaction. It's very personal. It's very raw. I think it's very authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as someone, like, ignoring, like, my first impressions, like, when I watched it, like, two years ago, what yeah. sticks out to me most about the pilot now <laughs> is it's the only episode of the original series shot on location, which huh. gives it this very strange... Because all the sets are, like, just slightly different, right? Episode two onwards... They went, they left Washington, they went down to LA, everything's on the soundstage. Um, Got it. I did not know that. Okay. Probably see this most clearly of the... Uh, are there ever pickups or anything that they do? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, you, we can get to that. Um, but you yeah. can probably see this most clearly when Bobby is leaving the police station later. Um, and you can see the sawmill in front of him, which in Twin Peaks canon is not supposed uh, to be there. Okay. Um, and it's also, like, why we get to see this, like, log where Laura is dead beside it, right? And um, there are a lot of little things in the pilot that are different episode two onwards. Um, it's very, it's kind of strange, but you, you kind of expect it. Um, yeah. What were you saying? Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, I was just curious. Like, Do you think they ever did, like, did they ever do, like, pickup shots or anything, like, on location? Or was it I think pretty... they got pickup shots on location it is worth saying that fire walk with me and the return are all on location it's just the original series that's yeah. on stages that makes sense that totally makes sense yeah, yeah i think they did some pickup shots okay. in washington but i'll that was just, pay more attention know, to that as we keep going yeah mm -hmm. you'll see and if i when i was watching episode two you can see like stuff like the sheriff station is just slightly different yeah and <laughs> you're, you'll only notice it if you're like a weird Twin Peaks of this person like me. I, um, you know, like, as you're saying this, it's definitely coming to mind. Like, I'm remembering there's, like, a shot oh. of, uh... There's a shot of the Major in Episode 1. It's, it's, a sh it's like, they're coming into the door um, of the Sheriff's Station, and somebody's walking out. I, I forget what's happening, but, like, it's definitely a shot you never see again. Because it <laughs> includes the outside of the front of the Sheriff's Station. And it's, like, I guess that wouldn't be there. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it, there are like little things like that where it isn't supposed to exactly look like that. Like we get an outside shot of the Palmer's house, which is a completely different house than Firewalk Me in the Return, right? Um, and we don't really see the outside of the Palmer's house much in the original series, but we do see it here. Uh, so yeah, there's little things like that that they decided to change earlier or later on. Right. Um, I mean, it's a pilot, yeah. so it's I guess that's it's it's a pilot. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Sarah? Sarah Palmer? Yes. Um, yeah, let's talk about Sarah. She's, she's like, for me, she's one of the most interesting people in the pilot, at least. Um, the first thing yeah. she does in the show is yell at Laura, which kind of says a lot about mm. her character. Right away. She's calling, yeah, she says, Laura, calling up the mm. stairs. A little and bit exasperated. And she's really worried about her, right? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um... I want to bring yeah. up, actually, before we go too deep into Sarah, the cut, um, this is a really minor thing, 
that I always notice every single time. Uh, I don't really... So the just the sequence of shots into the first shot of Sarah and the cut to Sarah in the kitchen mm-hmm. and the the place that we're at in the music during that edit. Yeah. It it gives me like goosebumps every single time because it's something about like I was I was trying to study it a little closer just before we got on this just to figure it out and someday I will but it, it, like but it's it's the shot of Hayward and um uh Harry, you know, that, that where they're they're seeing Laura. It's Harry mm-hmm. saying Laura Palmer in the very, very nice Michael Aunt Keen kind of way. Um, yeah. And then it's the shot of her. And so then it just cuts to the, the shot, you know, of her face, her kind of silver face in the in the plastic. And then it cuts right to Sarah in the living room. It's just like right from Laura, right to Sarah. And like the composition of that shot. And, like, the lighting and the little smokiness and, like, the position of the phone and, like, Sarah's entry into the shot. And, like I said, something about where the music is at that time in, in, the, th- in the theme there and, like, Lara's theme. It's just, it's just great. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> so, on the topic of Sarah Palmer, um, yeah. the thing that really strikes me most about her in this episode is she kind of knows what happened far before she's told right like right it's not just like oh sheriff truman's here and then she realizes no like when laura doesn't answer you kind of get the vibe that mm-hmm. she's already assumed the worst yep she calls um bobby's mom who took me a while to realize is actually the wife from Eraserhead. if you didn't know um i like did not approach. notice that you know, Lynch I've never seen Eraserhead. Hmm? You've never seen Eraserhead? No. Oh, man, you got to watch it. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> that, that's, I'll, I'll rant about that another time. Um, okay. Yeah, Bobby's mom is the wife from Eraserhead. Okay, Mary. cool. Um, and so as soon as she calls her, Sarah, like, kind of already, she doesn't say she assumes she's dead, right? But you can kind of tell from the way she's talking, like her panicked voice. She's like, yeah, my daughter is dead. And it's like that kind of tone. So I think Sarah is playing this like a mom who wonders if her daughter is dead every morning. You know what I, I mean? mean? Like yeah. every time Laura doesn't show up at night and isn't there. Like, I think this has happened before. You know, she's mm-hmm. just not been home. And yeah, that's definitely when that happens. About- yeah. Like that's what, it, that's when a parent thinks, I mean, if you're a parent, like it's like, I mean, I'm not a parent, but it's like, I think I've, you know, gotten to a point where I can understand, like, if you are a parent and your child is not home, you do assume the worst, like, every mm-hmm. single time. And that's just, you know what I mean? Like, because you have to. Yeah, well, it, it it's kind of that. But also, like, yeah. the more we learn about the Palmer family, Sarah has more reason to assume that than most, most mothers. Very um, true. Yes. It's, yeah, that's it's, more, you're right. That's more the issue there. Yeah, it's, it's like... It, it's it a, is partly like, oh, she's a mother. But it's also telling us about sarah and laura's relationship that laura was living a life where her mother would assume this automatically yeah and um and it's still like it it still doesn't prepare her for it like when she finds out her like screams are just like devastating man she just 
Um, Grace Zabriskie gives like an amazing performance in this episode. She yeah. just crumbles immediately. Yeah, you could feel it. You could feel it very viscerally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. She communicates the the sorrow. I mean, I think everybody does a pretty good job, but it's like she is really the crux and the heart of that that those feelings. Yeah, mm -hmm. and when she, yeah, it's like. Right. Yeah, you can't be prepared for this sort of thing. It's like imagine the emotional roller coaster ride of in life of right, experiencing these wondering if your daughter is is dead, you know, many many times and and then one day it turns out to be true. <laughs> What's weird to me is right after we see Sarah trying to find her daughter that we know is dead, mm -hmm. um, we go to Audrey. Um right who is, I think, the character that's most different between the pilot and the rest of the show. I was going to bring the same thing up, and you said something a little earlier that I was going to call forward to this, but yeah, big time. It's like they're trying to figure her out or something. The most obvious thing is she has a different haircut, um, but that, that isn't so <laughs> I'll say her later haircut is much better than her pilot haircut. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, like, Audrey in the series is, like, playfully mischief, but, like, still a good person at heart, just kind of had a strange upbringing where she might not know everyone's problems yeah. um, but in the pilot audrey's just an asshole <laughs> a little bit yeah she's kind of a very chaotic like figure um mm. yeah yeah i noticed the same at, thing at this point she doesn't care about like ghostwood developments or anything she just wrecks her father's thing because she wants to and like the thing that like is most telling for me is the thing she does with the coffee cup I know. And the receptionist is like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because she wants to see why the world burn, Nikki. That is the Audrey of episodes one and two. Yeah. Or mostly yeah. even episode one, I feel like. Yeah. She has no other character trait in episode one other than to cause chaos. Yeah. E episode two, I think she's. Definitely. Yeah. They start to actually. Um, does she what they want to do with her. start chatting with. Yeah. It's. She start chatting. Well, I guess we can get there, but right, like she's really has very little depth. It, it's you know, it's it's interesting that might end up working really well, you know, because it ends up mm -hmm. like simulating the idea of if you were to meet Audrey in real life, like maybe you would feel a little bit like this, like like oh shoot, is this person a total asshole? Because she's like <laughs> intense and she's driven and she's this, you know, mm. and and so. Maybe it's kind of like an extra kibosh on top of that, where it's like, no, we're gonna make you think she's a jerk at first. Then we'll slow, we'll we'll slowly expose to you that she has a lot of redeemable traits and is actually, you know, and, and is a very cool person. But it's like, yeah, they don't do the they don't do you the favor up up, up ahead, which is funny. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think overall they're probably just still trying to figure out her character, and they obviously yeah, there's a lot a of like. Job. There's a couple elements here, like um, Audrey being kind of a more of a jerk that don't get reused later. Um, mm -hmm. One that sticks out to me is Heidi, the waitress, who I don't think shows up again until the series finale. Uh, dude, I'm pretty. I'm like, yo, I think she shows up constantly. Does she not? The, does she? I does she <laughs> am I wrong? So she's in the <laughs> I don't return. Remember her you know that, all, right? I've seen this show like three times. You know she's in the return, right? Yeah, she's in the return. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. The original series. You know, you might be right. Um, and yeah, he says hi to her. But yeah, constant, constant. Uh, the Rock throughout the show, Heidi. 
Hmm. Bobby's a weird character in episode one. Um, he is not equipped to deal with Laura's death at this point at all. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby is at the height of his immaturity, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like, um, yeah, it's the start of a great story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, is, is what's great about that is like Bobby's arc, you know, is pretty, I would say probably becomes pretty core by the end of the whole show. Yeah. Obviously it takes quite some time for that to happen, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, not equipped at all. Him and Shelly, um, playing around hanky panky, having ridiculous dialogue in the car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when they're that like, works. you're a bucket rocket. You're going to light and my like, fire. <laughs> the thing is, he, he does all that stuff with Shelly, but when he finds out that James was also dating Laura, he is so upset. Um, yeah. Even though... What are yeah. you doing with Shelly, dude? And also, you really think James is a threat? What's that? You really think oh, James oh. your relationship? <laughs> hey, he is. Look at that. I, He's that beefy boy on the on the hog. Yeah, he's a beefy one, and he has a big heart. He does. And he's just so cool. Should we talk about James and Donna? Uh what about him? <laughs> they're they're not very good friends. Um, I like the scene in the classroom when they figure it out, and it's oh. That was yeah. great. That's a really good scene. Really good scene. Um, um, you know what I noticed uh, just earlier when I was just doing a little sift through? So when the teacher gets told about Lara, and by the, so the teacher, uh, the cop walks into the classroom. He's like, can I speak to you? Uh, and then we get Screaming Girl, um, mm-hmm. the icon that is Screaming Girl. Uh, Love Screaming Girl. Screaming Girl is just incredible. Um, but I realized that the only function that Screaming Girl serves is to hide the dialogue going on between the cop and the teacher. It's literally the only reason she's there. I would say that. I, I would, because I think that, I, and, and I don't deny the massive significance that it has obtained. And I wanted to point this out as another Lynchian thing, which is that, like, I think that he comes up with very emotional solutions to practical problems. Like, I I think, so let me say this. It may not be the only reason she's there, but I do think it's a reason that she's there is that they need something in that moment to hide. Like, they can't, we can't hear him saying Larma Palmer has died. It kind of sucks all the drama out of the room. So everybody gets distracted by this random screaming chick running across the thing and it drowns out the dialogue we're hearing. And then once she's done, you know, everybody looks back at the teacher and the cop's like, um, and so we're going to make an announcement, you know, like, and so it's, it was interesting for, for me to see the function of that girl in addition to whatever the fuck else it means. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely agree with you that screaming girl was originally added just to hide that dialogue. But I think what she has become or what the audience perceived with her or the, yeah. the intention for the audience to perceive is that this is the effect that this news is having just on yeah. some random student that we never see again mind you right um unless you count like the return intro yeah. um so yeah it's a very 
I will say, I'll, I agree with that. It's a very emotional, very clever solution to a just a filmmaking problem. It's a filmmaking problem, right? Mm-hmm. And then that ends up right. It, it obtains a life beyond that, which is always super cool. Yeah, that that's really cool. Um, I like that. Something that grabs me about the school section specifically is I don't know why the show has this 1950s 1950s vibe um it's kind of do do you do you get that or is that just oh yeah no I think that's probably I feel like that's an aesthetic that David Lynch just loves and kind of comes from you know I feel like it's kind of his just the design school um, right James as a character yeah, I don't even know that he consciously does that stuff, to be honest. When it comes to, like, serious, like, 50s, like, you know, like, I think he, I think it's just, like, I think it just comes out of him. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a note in here that says, is Soft Shoe playing when we see Audrey's shoes? Uh, I may have added some of that vibe. A little 50s, uh, I don't know when Soft yeah. Shoe is from. Um, but. The, the thing is, like, Kind of related to what we were talking about with Audrey before is there's a lot of different tone shifts in this episode. Like it mm-hmm. goes from Laura Palmer is dead, the world is ending to like kind of like comedic moments, and that's very yeah. Lynchian. That's the balance. Yeah. That, he mm-hmm. likes to use the back. I think that again, yeah, again, something he does very well, like using the backdrop of sorrow and pain as an awesome way to launch you into a joke. Like, it's from zero to a hundred. Yeah, and what a great way. And a lot of other filmmakers do this really skillfully, too. Like, um, this is a random one, but, uh, oh my gosh, his name's skipping my my mind. Uh, Frickin' Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, Uh, Wes Anderson? Wes Anderson, yeah. Wes Anderson, I think, can do that super well. And a lot of other directors, just, you know, super seriousness and just uh, jokes out of nowhere. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a very difficult thing to manage because if you do it wrong, you can just ruin any right. emotional moment. Totally, yeah. But it ends up being very key to the authenticity of it all, kind of sometimes, mm-hmm. right? It's like yeah, life does have those moments sometimes. Like we get like James and um, what's his name, uh, Hank. Mm-hmm. Gas station guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hank. Yeah. Hank. Uncle Hank. Um, James and Hank talking like that, this emotional, like kind of father son talk. And then Nadine yelling about her drape runners, like mm-hmm. immediately afterwards. And <laughs> oh my God, I love Nadine. Um, Nadine is-, is so great. Um, yeah. It's like the absurdity. It's like absurdity rather than jokes, right? That's what makes huh, the jokes like, work so and well. And the thing is, like, the jokes, like, play into like they aren't like just thrown out sometimes they are important oh yeah plot based jokes example here's this joke about a drape runner and then hey let's make that her entire character from now on yeah you know who taught me that plot based jokes were better South Park there's like literally an episode they do of South Park where they uh, they're making fun of Family Guy for like the whole episode Mm -hmm. and they're like it is it is it's funny to see like the episode but they're like yeah well like basically they just make all these jokes about how like well like the jokes in south in our show are plot based so like they're not (laughs) random crap like a family guy and it's just a funny like episode of south park but 
it actually made me think, I remember distinctly that, that making me think about things like, oh yeah, plot jokes are, uh, you know, very, yeah. Very hey Lois, remember that time we went to Twin Peaks? Remember that time? Right. <laughs> remember when we went to the Red Room, Lois? <laughs> oh my gosh. They've done, they had that. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a Lynch. Uh, I mean, Lynch was a character did. on the Cleveland show and had some cameos and really family, for some reason. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, um, another thing that uh, I noticed when I was rewatching that I didn't really notice the first time is an element that's kind of not present in the rest of the show is Jacoby is like really suspicious in episode one. Yeah. Like, He's not really portrayed as that going forward, but like here he is, like he talks to Cooper and you're like, oh, okay, this guy killed Laura Palmer. Right. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> he, he acts like way too happy about it. And I get I that. I think like, he's like, meant to be like a very early red herring. Uh, he is meant to be a red herring. And it's yeah. also Lynch trying to show, oh, here are like very different reactions to it from different people. Totally. Um, right. But it is kind of weird. It seems out of character from what he does later. It does, yeah. I, I was was Jacoby's always an interesting one. It's like Jacoby's a very interesting one because you you kind of like sometimes he's almost communicated as like a pretty decent therapist, mm -hmm. but then other times he's communicated as kind of a fuck up. So like, yeah, I guess it's both. <laughs> like, you know, um, after like this show, canonically he gets his license revoked. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it might be partly because of Laura. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah, that, that's um, in secret history, and that's why he's selling shovels in the return. Yeah. So do we have anything else we want to talk about with episode one? I guess we could maybe kind of... There are a couple things I want to talk about, like the ending, which is another very big red herring with Jacoby. Yeah. Um, it is a great cliffhanger, but it goes nowhere. And also, oh, wait, are you uh, talking about when he's sitting in the chair? Or whatever? Yeah, when he takes the um, necklace. Oh, yeah, that's the one. end of episode two. That's the end of episode one. Is it? Yeah. Um, oh, episode sorry. one is with... Um, I should trust you with this stuff. He's <laughs> Donna making out after their friend just died. Um, yeah. And no, the Jacoby up. thing is at the end of episode two, though, right? Where he's, like, listening to the recording of her. Yeah, it, oh, yeah, I guess it, it, it's revealed later that the person who took the necklace was... Oh, I see what you're saying. ...love picking it up. And I'm saying that's, like, a, a great cliffhanger that goes nowhere. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, right. Talk about things that are, like... Now, it's, like, there's where you see the fabric of, a, a like, a primetime television show, right? It's, like... Yeah. There was always a little bit um, of that. Speaking of people acting inappropriate in episode one, uh, another person who was just kind of way too, like, happy-go-lucky about Laura Palmer dying is Cooper. He acts a little bit differently in episode one than I would expect him to. Like, when he finds, like, um, the uh, letter under the nail, he's like, oh, hell yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to say about episode one? Yes, there was something I wanted to bring up uh, very quickly. Um, Sam Stanley is brought up in this episode. Sam Stanley. Sam Stanley of Firewalk With Me. The uh, mortician is he a mortician? Oh, yeah. The 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 guy who works on dead guys. Forget. Oh, I forgot about him. So he he's immediately brought up in episode one by Cooper and uh, hmm. um, Albert, uh, who isn't that surprising because we see Albert like a few episodes later. But mm -hmm. like Albert, so what's interesting about that moment 
is that Cooper's dialogue is pretty directly talking about Blue Rose cases. Sam Stanley not shouldn't be given information yet because he is not on, not on the Blue Rose task force yet, but is being mm-hmm. sort of vetted for that, as we see in Firewalk with Me. Like, th- all of his dialogue is super consistent with, like, what we only learn later in Firewalk with Me and, like, to some degree even the return, I feel like. But it's, like, it's just really interesting to me how, despite the show not even touching that stuff for a very, very long time, that you have some dialogue that's very, very specifically oriented around the stru- the the FBI's current structure for this Blue Rose investigation. Yeah, um, that's the thing about episode one is like the whole time um, as someone who's seen like the whole show I'm wondering like how much of this was planned out because some of it is like oh they were planning this so in advance and some of it's like oh they did not plan for this at all right? Right. And it's very strange it's a very strange balance. Yeah Um, Yeah, it definitely brings up a lot of questions for me in that regard because I'm, I mean, I work in the creative industry, I know how these things work, like people do make things up as they go along, (laughs) you know it's like, Mm -hmm. that's sometimes how the best stories get written, you know, it's like they, it's very, I feel like it's rare for there to be some kind of master outline. But in terms of like, yeah, the existence of these like deeper plot ideas and I don't know. I mean, like that to me definitely is a pointer towards mm-hmm. a lot of concepts that we really don't learn about until yeah. years down the line. Yeah. Planning out um, is very good in the story. I'll say um, one of my favorite shows, Mr. Robot, mm. there are like, moments in like the first two seasons that are like not paid off until like the very end right and it's very clear that that show was very detailed planned out from the beginning and like the creators talked about planning it out and like when the elements do get brought back it feels so satisfying for you as a viewer and it's it even makes it like more rewatchable as like like you said when you first watch this you don't know who sam stanley is you don't know what blue rose case is but now that you're Rewatching it, it kind of gives this new element to the early episodes, and that's kind of wonderful. Yeah, totally. Sam Esmail, creator of Mr. Robot, also a huge Twin Peaks fan. Yep, he is. Y'all can um, go out there and find his extended interview all about Twin Peaks. If I'm not mis- if I'm not misremembering, I think he has a total like a interview with somebody about the return where they're just like chatting. Yeah, um, Damon Lindelof also up out there with an interview about the return. Yeah, um, one more thing I want to say about episode one uh, before we go is um, a relationship in this episode that I really like and I wish we got to see more in the show is um, Donna and her father. Mm. Um, I kind of see them as like the anti-Leland Laura, where like from the outside, Donna and her father might not seem like a special relationship. Like when we see them more intimately, like that moment in the car, I think is just very lovely. Yeah, it was like, it shows that he loves and trusts his daughter. Right. And um, that's something... It, it's good to... I don't know how to explain it. it. It's good to see that after this whole ordeal that episode one has been, a little yeah. calm down, wholesome moment before we head off. Yeah, big time. Yeah, I think Lynch is always sure to sow seeds of hope, you know, within all this stuff. And yeah, you can see that there's like a a respect and a, yeah, like a mutual respect between the two of them that, uh, I, I love as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, that's all we have to say about episode one. 
I think that's all I got here as well. I mean, there's infinite topics people, you know, one can yeah. cover with this show, but I'm sure we'll get, get into them as we go along. Yeah. Um, if you're cover. listening to this, we might put episode two in the same episode, and I'm not sure if we will, because we've been talking for quite some time. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we I might just have um, the pilot be one episode. So um, that if could this work. is enough, um, bye. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and um, yeah. we'll we'll see y'all for the discussion of episode two. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs>